Episode of Rediscovering Your Passion and Purpose. You know, I'm Patty Stoolin and I am the Chief Pathfinder of Pathways with Patty. And today uh, is no exception to the amazing guest that I continue to be blessed to have on my podcast. And my guest today is Tara Gross. She is a trained counselor who serves women with varying addictions. She is an expressive artist, a coach, speaker, mentor, and a thriving single mother. Tara has overcome years of debilitating losses, which left her hopeless and in despair. She made a decision to rise above her catastrophic past and create the life she deserves. Now she uses her professional and personal experience to serve women who are experiencing similar situations to help them rediscover their value and live life on purpose. Tara, welcome so much to the show. I am excited to have you as our guest today. Thank you so much. It's a it's a pleasure being on. Well, you know, one of the things when I met with you uh, a couple weeks ago is you telling your story and sharing it. And once again, mm -hmm. it reminded me of why I wanted to start this podcast to bring to light those people that are out there that have had those challenges, they have faced those challenges and obstacles, and through all of it, they continue to uh, make their lives better, make their part of the world better, and they are helping others to do the same thing. And your story is absolutely no difference. So with that said, could you please tell us, you know, a little bit about, you know, about your story and, and the challenges and the obstacles and what brought you to this very day? Sure. So I have been through various traumas, uh, various losses in my life. Um, I've had to learn um, how to surf the wave mm. uh, through those challenges and crisis moments. Um, I will say that, you know, growing up, uh, we grew up in a, in a household that was um, your average household for the most part. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and my parents did the best that they could with what they had. Mm -hmm. Um, at, and with any household, like there is always, there's always some sort of uh challenge. Right. Um, but I will say, you know, through it, I was the oldest. I experienced a lot. There was a lot uh, happening with my family. Uh, my dad drank a lot. Um, my mom um, wanted this family uh, that we all see on TV, mm -hmm. <laughs> that picture perfect family. And, and with that, you know, um, they only knew what they grew up right. with. Right. Um, but being the oldest, I quickly took on that role of feeling like I had to fix everything mm -hmm. um, and be able to be that glue that brought everybody together. Um, that the and yes. <laughs> and it was hard. I learned that I became very codependent. 
Um, I recognized that I focused on other people way more than I focused on myself. Self-care was not really a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because to me, it was more focusing on everyone else mm-hmm. and making sure everyone else was happy and right. enjoying life. And, um, you know, growing up, we were homeschooled most of our life too. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was a different dynamic, mm-hmm. uh, not in a bad way, but, you know, it was just different dynamics. Well, when I hit yeah. college, it was a, another shock. Right, um, right. And all of a sudden I had this freedom that I never had before. Mm-hmm. Uh and in that process, because uh, we grew up in a, in a Christian home, we grew up knowing who God was. Um, but I will say that I knew a limited version of who God was. Okay. Um, I, I knew God as, well, if you're walking in the will of God, then everything will be golden gates mm. and wonderful gold path ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And you will just walk in this amazing journey as long as you're in tune with God. Mm-hmm. And I quickly learned that that was not the case. Mm. Uh, so I went through a couple years of, of rebellion. I went through a couple years of being like, I really don't want to take that life um, anymore. I'm going to try this other life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that process, I went through some painful situations. I went through uh, some abuse. I went through uh, some trauma in regards to sexual trauma at one point with mm. a couple individuals. And uh, I began to have these real huge wounds that I really didn't know how to deal with. And wow. so instead, codependent self, which is stuff them, right? Because it's so mm-hmm. much easier to stuff. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> if I, and if I try to keep it in the back of my mind, it won't bother me. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> and eventually, like this body just can't hold it in anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a long time, you know, I was like, well, maybe I'll move farther away. Let me see if a new state, um, when I was young, I was like, well, let's try a new state because, you know, let's try this life somewhere else. And I'm just skimming the surface. There's so many other things that Mm -hmm. I could dive into, but for time purpose, Mm -hmm. um, we'll just say that there was a lot that we dealt with, uh, growing up, Mm -hmm. uh, in regards to knowing how to, know my own identity, knowing how to know a confident version of me, uh, right. knowing how to really take who God is and apply it to my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, knowing, I, knowing, knowing when and how to say no. Yes. No with a period, full yes. sentence, stop. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, that was not in my vocabulary growing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was always, yes, no problem. What would you like? Mm-hmm. Uh, you were being so, obedient. Yes, yes. And so many times that we were told that, you know, that's good. You're supposed to honor your authority and honor who uh, is above you. And and I would take things so black and white. Looking at it now, like, man, I was a kid that just saw things as black or white. You're either doing this or you're doing this. Which side mm-hmm. are you going to be on today? Right, right. Uh, and so I had to recognize that there was a journey in the process. And it's okay to make mistakes. And it's okay mm-hmm. to learn from those mistakes. And uh I just remember like early in my years, like I had my oldest son when I was 21. Um, 
And that was like my first, probably my first moment where I felt like I was a failure because growing up in a Christian home, you were told never to have a child out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. That was bad, you mm-hmm. know? And, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I'm in this situation where I thought we were going to have this relationship together and we were going to have our house being built and my, and you know, Oh, I'm pregnant. Um, and there was some trauma with that too, as well. And for, for purposes of, of, uh, my son, like we'll leave it there, but, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of trauma with that, uh, mm-hmm. that just took place prior to when he was born. And, you know, all of a sudden I had to recognize that this man that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with ended up into drugs, mm. ended up totally my vehicle. Um, and and were you, were you married or you weren't married? We were uh, ready to be engaged and have a house where we okay. were going to live. So okay. it, it was like this dream. And, sure. and re- looking back, there were promises, mm-hmm. right? And and whether that fulfillment would have happened, um, he wasn't at a point, you know, but at, at 21, you know, you don't have a wealth of wisdom at that point. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, you're bullying. Or you think you, you, you think you do and you find out you really <laughs> did it. Yes. My oldest is 22 now, and I laugh because I'm like, wow, I had you at that age. And I'm like, wow, I really was not that smart. I'm like, I love you, but like, wow, I was not pulling from a bucket of smartness at all. But you think like, you know, at that point, you're older, you know, and you hear about how your grandparents had kids at like, you know, 19, 18, 16, Uh, some of them. Yes. yes. You think 21 is not that bad, right? Right. Uh, but I recognize in that process, like, you know, there was a moment where we were all ready to to buy this house. And, and I went through a very traumatic uh, delivery with him. Um, I ended up having a staff wound that had to be packed and needed like 24 seven care at that mm. point. Um, I went through a, a C-section where I felt the entire thing because oh. <laughs> so there was like a lot of levels of trauma that I experienced with that, that birth even. Right. Um, and so it was, a, it was a very interesting process. And even at a young age, I was m- miles away from my parents. Um, my mom suffers from uh, panic attacks mm-hmm. where she physically can't drive. Uh, mm. she's been that way since I was five. And, and so, you know, for me, it was just, that's who mom is. Right. Right. Uh, but in that moment where you are like, oh my gosh, you're States away. I'm in this traumatic experience and I have no family around me other than, you know, you didn't have a support individuals system. family. There was right. no support. And, uh, I just remember like, when they finally got the medicine in me, I remember seeing spiders and being like, what is happening to me? Ooh. Because it was, they had hit the skin instead of a vein. And by the time Mm. they got to the vein, I had so much medicine in me. I was, I was super happy. Mm -hmm. Um, But through the process, like I recognized that the person I was with was really not there. And when I went to go visit my mom, I found out that he was not there at all, that he was cheating on me and that there was so much other trauma uh, and so much other crisis at that point that I, all of a sudden my life at that moment crashed. So there was crash number one, mm-hmm. we'll say, um, where all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, I have this newborn child who's a couple weeks old and my car is totaled 
my his dad is at the moment had drugs in my car and possibly has charges all of my furnishings and everything I've worked for is in the house that I can't really get to Mm -hmm. and I'm getting a phone call saying don't come back he's been cheating on you and the woman he cheated was 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 a stripper um that was her profession and she came to the hospital and I'm like okay this is a lot to handle let me just process what you just dropped in my lap um and at that moment you know right after delivery you're you're not in a state where you can handle Mm -hmm. uh those kind of atomic bombs because your emotions are high your hormones are through the roof and and you know it took a lot for me to be able to muster up enough strength to say, now, what am I going to do? Right. Um, and so at that point I moved back home with my parents and I got my degree as a paralegal and I became very self-sufficient, um, which looking back was not always the best thing because I just became on airplane mode. Gotcha. Uh, you were just going where- through the motions going through the motions. And I was just like, check, took care of him today. Check, went to work, Mm. check, you know, got this done, check, paid the bills. Um, you know, and meanwhile, shoving every emotion that you, that I've just experienced to the wayside. Mm -hmm. Uh, and at one point I remember being like, okay, God, you and me need to have a conversation because what's happening with my life uh this is not what I was taught (laughs) (laughs) this is not what was all like said to me and this is not that golden path that you know everybody talks about am I out of your will and if I am how do I get back on it um and I just remember being like okay god like we need to figure out this plan and I am sure god was up there laughing at me because you know I'm a planner and God was like, when you're finished planning, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> and then I'll get back to you and I'll let you know what's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> we'll start making the real stuff happen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it's interesting because that atomic bomb I thought I could handle uh, growing up. I lost, we had next door neighbors that were like our second parents. I lost them quickly within a year of each other. Mm. Um, and that was traumatic in high school. Uh, I had their nephew was kind of like our cousin and and there was a very traumatic experience where he was killed uh, due to a gang uh, situation. And, you know, I thought, you know, those were difficult, but when this happened, I was like, Ooh, this is a lot harder to deal with. Mm -hmm. And how do I get on this airplane mode and just survive? Because at that point you're like trying to figure out what is it that I need to do to just survive? And in that process, my parents watched my son as I went to the work and went to school and got to a place where I could be functional. Um, but I remember telling God, okay, God, I'm signing off from that. <laughs> no more done. Got this child. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to play the parent role and I'm just going to sign off from men. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has a sense of humor. That's kind of funny. Um, because he's like, do you really want to sign off for men? Let's see if that's really the case. Cause we're just going to allow these, tr- these testings to happen to see if you really mean what you say. Right. Right. Uh, and in that process, like I remember getting so many ass of dates, uh-huh. um, and I was like, what's happening? 
and I just like took it as oh this is kind of nice this feels great but then I was like no I don't really want to go on dates I told God no uh but then there was a situation where like or a, a person I worked with uh she knew uh, me from high school and she's just like my cousin would be perfect for you and I said okay well this is somebody I know um and I remember by the time he showed up there were so many promises he's gonna show up gonna show up gonna show up by the time he showed up I was sick I was wearing a sweatshirt to work I probably had sweaty armpits I was like disgusting mess and he shows up to work and I was like do you want to go on a date and I'm like really like the way I look today mm-hmm and I was like, okay, God, this must be just, this must be it. I'll try it. And I remember learning that he went to church. And so for me, checkbox, right. Christian, done. We're going to be equally yoked at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, okay, this is it. This must be God's moment. This is where the good and, stuff uh, starts happening. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, he, he loves, you know, he went to church he was brought up in the church. His dad's an organist. Like, this is it. And I remember we dated for about a year and then he proposed uh, and we ended up getting married and uh, later on had three more kids. So at this mm-hmm. point now four, and he took in my oldest as his own and it seemed beautiful. Everything mm-hmm. seemed great. And, uh, there were moments we all had, you know, anytime in marriage, you're going to have your challenges. You're going to have your right. struggles. Life uh, happens. We, yeah. And at that point we, uh, had to reinvent ourselves. He was a personal trainer and not really, he was in and out of people's homes, but like a clients here and there. And it was really just my income that was like providing at that point. And I was like, we really need to make this work. Uh, so I became a nutrition coach at one point, uh, when the kids, uh, once we had all four kids, I was like, let's, I'll be a nutrition coach. You be the personal trainer and we'll, we'll own gyms. Mm. That will work. And so me and my business brain and being a paralegal, I was like, we'll draft up all the paperwork and we'll make it work. And I was like, I'll learn marketing and I'll learn all this, you know, and I just became this like individual that was like, again, self-sufficient in another Mm -hmm. area Mm -hmm. in airplane mode. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, we're just going to fix all our problems financially. And we'll own all this, this amazing empire that will pass on to our children. And, uh, that's your goal there's your golden path right (laughs) yes the golden path (laughs) and I just remember like you know the marriage seemed awesome we we did everything together we would go on vacations and um from the outside people were like wow this is a beautiful marriage they love each other but then we would come home and we'd have some real battles uh his parents were separated And they lived close by and my parents were close by and there was a lot of tension of where we were going to go and who was going to be able to see us at that time in that place. And Mm -hmm. there was just a lot of fighting over, you know, whose parents are we going to today? Mm -hmm. Um, And which one wins? Let's draw out of a hat, you know? Right, right. Uh, And we, we recognize too that like, like looking back, I see where our communication was not great. Mm. Uh, it seemed great in the moment, um, but it wasn't. Uh, he stuffed and brushed under the bed and I would just be like, let's figure out a plan. Uh, and so 
the two don't really mix very well because he would just shut down and I would be like the talker and be Mm -hmm. like, let's figure this out. Here's a plan. Does this work? Does this look good? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the communication was like a lot of times one way and then he would blow. Um, And so recognizing that like there was a lot of work and neither of us really saw it enough to be able to really dive in and say, okay, we really need to do this and we need to work on this. And in all honesty, we were both coming in with our own experiences growing up and thinking that that was going to work, thinking that what we were brought up was the right way to be brought up. Uh, And so we would have these arguments over like silly things now looking back at it. Um, And then there was like a lot of verbal abuse that would happen uh, because when he would get mad, it was verbal. Uh, a lot of it was was negative thought process and negative comments that would just fester. And, and I've dealt with physical abuse from previous, you know, earlier on. And I will say from my experience, like so much easier to heal from those physical wounds than it is to heal from the mental uh, oh. thought process wounds. What an, in- what an interesting observation. Wow. Yeah. Because they're, they're invisible, right? Right. Like others right, right. don't see them and you can stuff them for a really long time and you can pretend like and compartmentalize them and put them in the storage and be like, I'll deal with that later. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a wound that I don't want to touch today. Right. Uh, where the physical wounds you have to deal with, they're, they're, they're visible. Yes. You, know, you have to see them. You have to deal with them. And you don't um, want you- other people to see them either. Yes. So you want to cover them up quickly mm-hmm. and deal with them quickly. So they they disappear. Right. Um, you can't really hide them in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I recognized real quickly how easy it was to deal with physical wounds versus emotional wounds. Mm-hmm. And in that process, because I was codependent, I just wanted to please my husband. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I would shove all the negative thoughts and I wouldn't process them. And in, in, in time, uh, what I did was I welcomed all those negative thoughts and said, come on into my brain, come take a seat, (laughs) um, sit here for a while, find a spot, get comfortable. (laughs) yep enjoy and rent some space in my brain and have fun (laughs) create some havoc and be okay with it Uh because I'm letting you in today right Uh, and you know it's a slow process too when it's when you're dealing with verbal uh abuse when you're dealing with emotional abuse it's a slow slow process Mm-hmm. where it creeps up on you and you don't recognize the full brunt of it until you've had enough. You're right. Um, and I just know that like through my marriage, I never really saw it in that mm-hmm. way. P- other people would say, wow, you're okay with him saying that? And I'd be like, what do you mean? Because I didn't want to deal with it at that point. Right. Right. You no, know, I was just like, no, he's good. He's good. Um, and I would defend him. Um, right. And I would find ways to be able to do so, or I would start to condone it and say, well, I probably was the reason I wasn't communicating enough or I wasn't doing, you were making excuses for him. Yeah. And so, you know, in that trauma state, you don't recognize it, you don't deal with it. And if you don't have the good support system in that process to be able to surround you and hold you accountable and really open that 
those wounds up and say, no, you need to deal with this. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, having that intervention, having that, those moments to say, no, you're not okay. Right. Um, this is going to affect you this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard, you know, my mom tried for a while, but, but having somebody close to you like that, it's tough. Right. Because as a parent, you know, when you're 35, 30 years old, like you don't want to hear from your parents that you made the wrong decision. Exactly. Uh, and so it and really their thinking is not going to, their thinking and advice is not going to be very rational because it's going to be very one-sided because you yes. are their child and they're going to, they're, they're want, they're wanting the best for you, but yet it's still not going to be the advice or information or resource that you need. Yes. And so I, I, I again, went on airplane mode and, and in all honesty, like I just numbed myself. And basically went into a mode where I just took care of the kids and him and made sure that they were all happy. Um, while on a daily basis, mm -hmm, I was depleted on a daily basis. I was that car that had no gas in it at all times. Mm -hmm. So you were just pushing the car. (laughs) Yes. I was pushing the car. (laughs) And, And after a while, it got pretty heavy. Um, and I, you know, but I would always tell myself, oh, no, this is just how marriage is. You know, marriage is just a process um, where that we're fighting is okay. I grew up where my dad and mom would get in fights all the time and verbal fights. And it, so for me, it was comfortable. It was normal. Like mm-hmm. they're just having discussions, like mm-hmm. they're fighting about something. And that's just normal to have in a relationship when you're married. Right. Uh, and again, it goes back to what you're brought up with right and and what you witnessed as a child and what you saw as the norm it sets Um, your standard it's the expectation yeah Yeah. and so I'm like wow you know I look back now and I'm like man if I had had somebody else just come in and say Tara wake up Mm -hmm. you are not in a healthy relationship and it's hard too because growing up in a in a Christian home like the thoughts in my head were, I can't get divorced because it's against God. Right. I can't leave this man. So I just need to make this relationship better. Mm-hmm. How can I do that? Let me figure out his, uh, you know, what he loves to do, what he loves to be able, um, what makes him happy. And let me figure out a way to just make him happy all the time. Because um, if he's happy, then that'll make me happy. Yes. And, and it was hard because there was some abuse that happened with my oldest. And, uh, you know, looking back, I recognize how I just turned a blind eye because I didn't want to cause more tension in our mm-hmm. marriage. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to turn the flashlight onto myself, which is, was such a selfish move as a, as a mom. And, but it was like at a point where I was just like, no we're finally okay. Like why it's just his parenting style. You know, I come up with another excuse. Oh, he's Irish and German. That's just the way it is. Like short temper, poke out the ears. Here we come. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I would figure out ways. I remember one time, like my children, they had this beautiful house upstairs, our beautiful room upstairs. My two boys, they're 17 months apart. And they were like thing one and thing two. (laughs) And 
I just remember we had like a reading tent with this huge rope that we hung from the ceiling and we had the train table with the two beds. And I remember one day I was downstairs, I do I was in the kitchen doing something and all of a sudden I hear crash and then silence. And I'm like, I'm gonna go upstairs. Do I even like check to see what's going on? I'm like, this is not good. And I run upstairs and there one's hanging from the ceiling with this with this hole in the ceiling <gasps> because the ceiling tent literally came out of the ceiling as he's hanging and oh. the other one's hanging from the blade of the fan oh my uh, gosh as the train tables underneath them and they're both like mom we're tarzan <laughs> and i'm like well <laughs> but i remember in my head going oh my gosh we have to hurry up and fix this before your dad gets home because he's gonna throw fit mm-hmm. um and so I easily became this like fix it woman. Like I just became really handy, really quick. Um, I remember our next door neighbor were retired teachers. And for Christmas, they gave me the fix it handbook. Oh. Not my husband, they gave me. And they, they were like, well, you. Tara learns how to fix everything. And I'm like, and that's all because I'm trying to make sure to like reduce the tension in the house. Right. And uh and they had no clue. They just saw right. it as, oh, she just knows how to fix everything. Right. And uh, so I just recognized, like, from the outside, our marriage looked really good. We owned three gyms. I had a nutrition practice. He had a personal training practice. I We also had a nonprofit that was under my name that where we taught kids how to uh, cook healthy. Um, and so it looked like we were building this amazing life. Mm-hmm. Um, that we would be able to continue forward with. And we had just purchased uh, or just took over the third gym, which was a brand new gym that we gutted from beginning to end. And we just remodeled our our house at that point. Um, And I remember getting ready that September to take my children to orientation uh, for school. And I remember getting in the car with them and my husband at the time came to my window and said, we really need to talk. And I need to tell you something right now. And I'm like, well, can I drop the kids off and then we can talk? Or he goes, nope, I'm just going to tell you right now. And he's like, I'm leaving you for my best, for your best friend. And <gasps> I want a divorce. And I just remember being like, you're joking. Cause he liked to joke a lot. And so I'm like, you're just joking. Whoa. And so that was like crash number two. (laughs) But to me, that was the tidal wave that just made me collapse. Because at that point, everything I had worked for, uh, and I say I, because at that point, I was like so focused on what could I do in life. Um, I had kind of put God on the back burner um I my entire life was very self-focused at that point Uh, I was a toothpick like serious toothpick because we own gyms and I just worked out a lot um and I just remember at that point being like oh no he's not joking and I remember just tears flowing because this with this family uh, we had connected with Uh, She had five kids in the same school district and we had four. They were all best friends. We used to have dinners together at least two to three times a week. Um, And we would share meals together. Uh, I had 
couple days right before had went to her birthday party and made sure she had went to bed without uh without um without being unsafe because she had drank uh for her birthday and um I remember sleeping in the same bed making sure she was still breathing all night uh and I used so to there was no she- there was no clue no warning sign no anything nothing we used to hang out and we would all have fun and they had a pool in the backyard the kids would all play and they would swim and um they had a huge backyard and we would all just hang out and we would have other families come as well and and so to all of us we all had great families that all connected and all had wonderful meals together and times together where we got to socialize and you know, there were moments, you know, there was a lot of alcohol at these parties and and that was not kind of my thing at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. growing up with my dad who does drink, like it just was not something, Mm -hmm. um, that was huge for me. Parties were not huge growing up with, uh, I have a lot of, um, you know, experience even with my oldest son's dad who was in addiction. Like I just didn't want to be around that much. Right. Um, so I kind of would just kind of be off to the side, but like, we still connected. We all went on women's parties together and the men would go off and do their card games. And, you know, it was that like picturesque movie, mm-hmm. uh, type of experience where it, life seemed great. It was that golden road that we all, that I learned about growing up. And I was like, oh, I must be just living this great life. And so in that moment, when that happened, I was like broken. Um, I was in shock. I was numb. Uh, I felt so many emotions flooding. It was like a tidal wave and everything I had put on the shelf or stuffed jumped aboard. (laughs) And so I got like double everything from wave one and now wave two, Mm -hmm. uh, And I just remember looking at him and I couldn't even hear the rest of his conversation because I was crying so much. And I just remember driving away. And I remember being like, I'm just going to drive. I'm just going to drive. I'm going to continue to drive until all of this goes away. Because how am I going to pick all these pieces? Yeah. Complete shock. Like I couldn't even like, I look back and I like, I thank God that I'm still alive because the amount of tears that came out of my eyes that night, I don't even remember where I drove. And when I got home, I don't even know how I got home safe mm. um, from driving. Cause I was such a mess in the car. Yeah. Um, and I was on all these back roads and I just, I just remember being like, wow, how did I even make it on that road? Okay. Mm-hmm. In that, in that state, because I was literally numb. Um, And I remember walking in the door and I remember him pulling me into the bedroom and being like, you can't tell anybody. So not only did I just have this huge atomic bomb go off in my life and everything that I thought was stable was now gone um, and unstable. He's now telling me I can't share it with anyone. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, we have to figure out how we're going to tell the kids and you have the five kids and our four kids and they all go to school together. And we just got to figure this out. And so I'm like, okay, but what about like in, internally, I'm like, what about me? Like, exactly. How am I supposed to figure it out? Yes. Uh, 
but I didn't express that, you know, because I naturally love to stuff things and fix things. And so, and I'm the yes girl, not the no girl, Mm -hmm. uh, and setting boundaries at that point. And so I really just became numb to world, the world in general. My daughter was young at that point. Uh, We had three boys and my youngest was a daughter and we finally had a girl and I was going to be home with her and I was ecstatic. And now all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to experience this. So the losses were multiple, right? Uh, the loss of the business. You know, I'm like, what about the business? Cause in my head, I'm going, what about the business? What about the children? What about, you know, all of our assets? What about all these other things? And meanwhile, he's off wanting to separate not only our family, but another family who also owned businesses. And I just remember at that point, really struggling. Uh, The, The ripple effect is phenomenal yeah i mean how many people are affected by their 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 choice and all the people affected by that yeah and it and it was hard because i'm sitting there going wow we live in a small community because at that point we lived in upstate new york uh, in the finger lakes area and it was small the town that we lived in was small and and everybody knew everybody and Mm. And both families own businesses. So they both knew us in the community as business owners. Wow. Um, and they knew our kids based on the business. And I'm like, wow, what is this going to look like? And meanwhile, I'm trying to plan. And I can't think of a plan. At this point, it was the first time in my life that I physically couldn't put together a plan. And I was like, what am I supposed to do now? And I just remember... The kids were in school at that point and my daughter had, uh, my daughter was in preschool, I think at that point or home. She was super young, super, super young. Um, maybe a little over a year, two years old, super young. Um, and I just remember putting the boys on the bus, like as if it was like a natural motion, but like I was out of my body watching it happen. Mm-hmm. And I would crawl right back into bed and sleep the rest of the day. I wouldn't eat anything. I'd barely drink enough water. And in two months time, I lost hundred pounds. Oh my gosh. And I was like, people were like, what diet program are you on? Because remember we own gyms. <laughs> and so people are like, I love the way you look. What diet oh. program are you on? And meanwhile, I'm bitter and I'm angry and I'm hurt. Um, and I just remember looking at them and being like, how dare you? Like, don't ask me that question. This is not a diet program you want. No, it's not some pill I'm taking. It's not some like wonderful, you know, slushy or, or smoothie or, you know, mm-hmm. it's not some wonderful like food that I have shipped to my house. Like, Right. If you knew really what was happening behind the scenes, you wouldn't want this. No. Uh, and I just remember going to a play and so, and a mom coming up to me and being like, she made a big deal about it. And I almost lashed out at her. And at that point, I would always wear everything on my face. And I remember getting in the car and my kids were like, mom, you almost like, you almost lost it on her. Mm. And I was like, I did. I was like, oh, Um, you know, and at that point, 
was I began to wake up because before that I was suicidal before that I was severely depressed before that I was I was at a point I remember telling God at one point if this is it God just just make it quick um so your your children were noticing yeah and you had no idea I would sit and buy dinner have it made put it out on a nice platter to make it look like I made dinner for the night and I go back into bed. Wow. And I would check all the boxes. So it looked like the house was clean, looked like the dinner was made, looked like everything was normal, but I would spend my entire day sleeping. Wow. Um, and people would call me. And I just remember at that time, like my sister was going through a divorce at that time. So she was calling and she experienced a lot of trauma in her divorce. And I remember listening to her story and just being like, I don't want to hear it right now. Right. I just don't want to hear what you're going through mm-hmm. because I couldn't talk about what I was going through. Right. Uh, and the only person I could talk to was her, was the girl that my husband at the time wanted to leave me for. And it was her husband. And thank gosh, God is awesome. He made sure he was an awesome cook. He was a chef in his in his career and I was like thank you Jesus at least I have good food uh, <laughs> and I got you know he just cooked and cooked and cooked and cooked I we had so many amazing meals and we would just watch tv and we'd cry mm-hmm. um so in the meantime to- so in the meantime did your husband and his wife then did they move in together then or so when he told me the next day he packed his stuff and he uh, started living at his parents' house, but he would come back after the kids got home from school and he would stay overnight with from there until the next morning. Okay. But when the kids were at school and he was at work, he was living somewhere else. Gotcha. Um, and it was tough because the kids started asking, where's dad? Mm-hmm. Where is he? Why is he gone all the time? He's gone way more. He's not letting us go with him to work because when he would personal train, he would take them with him Mm -hmm. uh, at times and they would exercise on the equipment and they'd have that like bonding time and that wasn't happening anymore. Um, And so they began to start asking questions and, and I was like, no, Uh, after a while I was like, this is, this is awful because I'm lying to my children. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember there was a one point where, uh, my, uh, where the woman, at, uh, the woman he married and, and my husband at the time wanted to meet and, uh, the fixer that I am was like, yes, this is my opportunity to fix the solution. <laughs> Let's use persuasive conversations and figure <laughs> out a way to fix this solution. And in the process, I remember we were counseling. I said, you know, I had told uh, my husband at the time, I said, you know, if you really want to do this, we have to at least counsel. You have to be willing to go through counseling for at least uh, to see if it's fixable. If it's not, then I'll wash my hands of it and you can go your way. Mm -hmm. And he agreed at the time. So he was counseling. She came over to the house and I just remember sitting at the dining room table and they were sitting next to each other. And I just remember her saying, can we still be friends? Oh my gosh. Oh. And I just remember being like, really? And they were like, well, aren't you going to stay here? We'll be able to like get the kids close and the, we'll just, we'll switch the kids back and forth. Um, 
and you know looking back at it uh andrew's parents went through a very similar situation they his mom chose to leave very similarly and so you know in the moment of loss in the moment of despair you don't think about those situations right you don't think about what have they been through and why do they see it as normal why do they see it as okay um my parents on the other hand fought like cats and they fought all the time but they stuck together um (laughs) and man like they're still married to this day uh and their relationship they were they were were releasing all of that stuff they weren't stuffing it (laughs) yeah and so I'm just like I don't understand you um but I remember them saying you know we were only maybe maybe two or three miles away from each other um as far as houses wise and so in their eyes we would just be this happy family where the children would just bounce from house to house um and I remember you know, even now, like looking back, um, I recognize how powerful words are because I remember my husband at the time and, um, joking about how the kids looked so similar, um, and how they could be siblings before I found out, you know? And so I recognize that those words are powerful Yes. But in that moment of despair, you don't, you know, it's, it's hard to think of all those things, but as you begin to heal, you start to recognize the power of words, the power of, of being able to say no. And what that, what that does to a situation boundaries, um, you know, there's so much. And I just remember in the counseling session, I remember being like, okay, this is, this is going to be it. This is where I'm going to get validated. And in all honesty, I learned more about who he was. I learned mm. that uh, the counselor at that time used, you know, was like working through stuff. And I just remember him at the very end leaving and saying, I'm done. I'm done with this. It's always, you know, I'm not getting my way. She's getting her way. I'm done. And he walked out of the counseling session. And I remember looking at the counselor and being like, now what? Like, what am I going to do now? Like, mm-hmm. this was the last straw. Um, and she gave me some very wise words of wisdom. And she was like, you need to join um, a battered women's um, shelter center for support. Mm. She's like, because you are dealing with someone who's very narcissistic Mm. And she's like, and he's somebody that I have, that I've seen, she goes, I haven't seen someone to that extent in a while. She's like, you're going to have a journey ahead of you. And wow. she's like, you're going to have to dig deep. And she's like, you're going to have to hold on even when it's tough. And I just remember those words being ringing in my ear because I was like, she basically told me that this atomic bomb is going to get worse. Right. Right. <laughs> and I was, I was like, like, how can it? <laughs> how could it get any worse than this? Right. I'm like, oh my gosh. But she was right. Because in that next, I would say two years, um, we went through a court battle 
that I would never wish upon anybody. Mm. Um, and there were times where like, you know, we had, we, we tried the, you know, the way where we would just do with it or do the, um, the decree through the attorneys. And mm-hmm. so we had one, uh, we had one paper, uh, that basically said, okay, here's our agreement, but we got to the point of signing and all of a sudden he would bring in another court case. And all of a sudden, so now we had this, this family court case. Uh, and I remember at that point I was going to the abuse center and the abuse center was saying, Tara, like you got to learn boundaries and fast. And they're like, and you need distance right now. Why you heal? You need distance while you pull the pieces together and deal with it. And at this point, at that point, when we were going through family court, I found out that the three businesses we had, he had walked away from. Mm. And it wasn't enough time where I could take the equipment that we owned out of it and sell it. They had already gotten rid of it. Oh my gosh. So everything that we had built financially was gone. Mm. And in the process, he lets me know that he filed bankruptcy. Mm. So everything debt-wise for the uh, house remodel, for the the businesses, was now financially on me. And when I say a financial tidal wave, it was like, I mean, we're talking like I could have paid a house in cash. Um, and I mm. just remember being like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with mm-hmm. now this? Mm-hmm. And I remember that woman's, that counselor's uh, advice. And I was like, oh, this is, this is the tough part that she was talking about. Right. And I just remember him being like, nope, you can have the house that I couldn't afford because I couldn't, I couldn't take the businesses. Uh, my practice at that time was not built enough where I could just move into that on my own. Um, and everything that I had, the paralegal work, everything what I had left when the children were young because mm-hmm. we we wanted a, a place where I could be home with them and and be right. able to nurture them. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, I have to reinvent myself again. yeah and I just remember being like oh my gosh this is like hitting tidal wave after tidal wave um and that moment where I was in bed prior to all this where I was suicidal I was yet suicidal again because Mm. I felt like how am I ever going to get out of this pit Right. That just keeps shoving me deeper, that keeps shoving me down even further. And I feel like any glimpse of light that I see is gone. Um, attorney fees were out of the wazoo. Uh, and it was scary. I, I will say I was fearful. I was in a place of like desolation. I was desperate. My parents were trying to help, but it it wasn't really help because it was like, it was so overwhelming. It was difficult to hear from people close to you um, to be able did, to receive the help. Did you did you find during this time that you were actually mad at God? Oh, I was so mad at God. Um, I remember running uh, right after he had told me 
the kids would go to school and uh, probably about two months after when I, when I, people thought I was on the diet program, when I finally mustered the strength, because at one point I was like, God, this is it. And I just remember, I remember hearing God in, in some sense be like, this is not it. Mm. And I remember being like, okay, I got to do something. And so I just started running and running went from one miles to two miles and it ended up 15 miles a day. I would just oh put tunes in my ear and I would just run everything off. Wow. And running wow. became an addiction for me because I just wanted so badly to run from my life. I wanted to run from the problems. I wanted to run from everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to run in shame and guilt because now every problem that I couldn't fix was now going to be exposed to this community. Um, and I just remember being like, man, I just want to run. And I would just run, 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 run. And I come back. And so for me, addiction turned into coffee and running and, and, uh, you know, and this place of like isolation, that was another addiction movement for me and, and behavior wise, because for me, it was, I'm just going to isolate myself. I'm going to put a fake smile on and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to be okay. But in the quiet time, I'd be like, God, I really feel like you left me. I right. really am mad at you. I'm right. angry where I'm at, but I will tell you in those moments, that's when God spoke to me the most. Mm-hmm. Because God wants us to be so honest and real with him. Right. God already knows our emotions before we have them. Yes. And so that's where God wanted me to get to because he couldn't do anything until I surrendered. And that exactly. meant surrendering my emotions. Um, and so at that point, like when I would run, God would just speak. And I would cry and God would speak more and I would cry Mm -hmm. and God would give me these awesome like journal moments where I would just journal with God. And I became so hungry for more of that. Mm. Um, And God would just constantly tell me, trust me, keep pushing. I have more for you. This is not your end all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm building you for something greater. Wow. I need to sever this because it can't give me glory. Mm-hmm. Um, I've waited too long for him to turn. Now it's time for you to be, to leave. Mm-hmm. And he knows me because I would have fought tooth and nail. Like I tried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he knows I would have fixed it some way, shape or form if I could have. Um, but you also know so that you like, you were putting in some effort to try to make it work so it's not like you just said yep okay bye see ya I mean you you tried yeah. oh man I, I tried to grip onto my husband at the time with like white knuckles mm-hmm. and was like the girl was like oh my gosh don't leave me <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like brutally like you know snot and the whole nine works like when when all that went through but you you had to be become on your knees and then yeah. God said okay here we go yeah yeah God God needed me so broken and I thought I was broken but I wasn't because I was so self sufficient which is pride right and God knew that if I wanted to stay in that place of pride He couldn't use me right right. Um, 
And so he needed that pride broken uh, in order to be moldable and usable. And so he waited until I was like the exerciser bunny just finally depleted. (laughs) (laughs) That battery ran myself. (laughs) And then God was like, good, the battery's out. Now I can deal with you. (laughs) Now I can mold you. (laughs) Yes. And it, it, you know, it's beautiful because in those moments, I would journal and I would encourage anyone going through a moment like that to journal because that scripture in Habakkuk too is so real to me because God tells us to write things down plain and clear Mm -hmm. and it might not be for this time. It -hmm. might be for your future date. Right. And there is so much of where I was going to of today, of, uh, the journey through the divorce that I needed to write down. So when I got to the point, I could read back through those journal moments and say, okay, yes, I'm going to make it through. God promised me this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and can I see your growth that, and the progress that you've been making as well. Yeah. I mean, it was a journey. My, you know, at that time there was a lot of verbal, more verbal abuse. I used to, I called it, I got books in text, you know, the, the, the texts mm-hmm. that were like X long and they were attackful. And, um, I just remember like reading them and feeling so guilty and so shameful. And I'd be like, God, why do I feel this way when I've done nothing wrong? Mm-hmm. I didn't sever this marriage. I didn't decide to end this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the moment where we had to finally tell my children. And it was at a point of desperation because I was so sick of lying to them. And I remember uh, we were in the house and, and my husband at the time was ready to pack his bags again and head for his parents' house, which I knew was meant that they were going to, him and her were going to be together. And I was going to have to deal with the kids. <clears throat> and I remember well, him coming down the hall and I stopped him and I said, please, we either have to figure out something or we have to tell the kids. I said, and you can't leave until we figure this out. And I remember him getting so mad that he raised a fist. Oh, and I remember that fist and it was like at the point where I was like, oh, here we go. Okay. This is serious. He really does not want to work through this. And I said, if you leave tonight, I'm telling the kids, your bags will be packed on the front porch. This will be done. Um, and you will have what you want. And, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I got dry throat. Um, I just remember him, remember him being like, fine, whatever. And he pushed through me. And I remember my children were on the couch and they were like, where's dad going? And so when he left, I packed the bags and I walked out and put them on the front porch. (coughs) And I remember him leaving at the time and I walked back in and all four of my children's eyes are looking at me and they're like, what's happening? And at that point, I was like, God, give me the strength because Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to share with my children 
and shatter their lives, mm-hmm. shatter their comfort zone, shatter their security, shatter everything that they knew was safe all by myself. Right. Um, and so I went and told them, you know, and I probably didn't do it in the best way, but I, I did it out of fear. Um, mm-hmm. I just did it scared. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was no easy way to be able to do that. And I remember them crying and not sure, very distraught, very upset of what was was going to take place. They couldn't understand what was happening. They were angry. But I just remember such a relief that I was finally able to share it with somebody. Right. I finally could no longer have this secret shoved inside of me. And I was doing it all on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that moment, that's when I felt like things started, even though they weren't easy, they were easier because I wasn't doing it all by myself anymore. I wasn't having to put on this fake smile. I wasn't have to be put on. And this was months. Um, I remember at that time we had to sell our, I had to sell the house we were in because I couldn't afford it. And I Mm -hmm. had to move into apartment. So the kids had to move into another change. We moved into a new school district because the apartment was out of the school district. Um, So it was another change for the kids. And at this point, they're going back and forth and they're not really sure. They're very confused as to how that's going to work with their friends and what that's going to look like when kids see them in school. And so it was not only dealing with my own emotions, but now I'm having to help my children. Right. Um, It's not just about you anymore, huh? Right. And so it was like another level. And at this point, we were going through family court. And I just remember God saying, I need you to move. And I thought, you know, at this point we had moved out of the school district. I thought that was a move. Mm-hmm. It was like 20 minutes away. I thought that's a move, but God just kept saying, you need to move. And I remember in one of my journal entries, God was sharing with me, I need you to move far away. I'm calling you and your children to walk out of the Red Sea. And when you do everything you've experienced will be no more. Wow. And I remember writing that down in my journal entry and I'm like, well, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I remember being like, okay. And at that point I was reading the prayer circle book by Mark Batterson and I'm on this like prayer hype, right? I'm like, okay, God, I'm bringing you all my prayers and I'm putting circles around them and I'm making declarations that this is what's <laughs> going to take place. And I was working at the ski resort. My children loved that job because they could ski and they could go to the water park. And so on our end, life seemed okay other than the bills, right? Like right. I was pinching pennies for a while. Uh, but I remember I needed to move. And the counsel, uh, the counseling office and the uh, battered women's office I was in, I remember going in to talk with my caseworker at the time. And, and she looked at me and she goes, Tara, I'm going to be honest with you. You really need to move and far away. She goes, I mean, like two to three hours far away. So now she's saying it. And so now she's saying it. And I'm like, but that's scary. One, my mom doesn't travel. So she's not gonna be able to see the kids anymore because three hours is too far for her to travel. Mm-hmm. two like I don't have any support system three hours away like three hours away to me at that point was 
Pennsylvania, New York City, mm-hmm. Buffalo, Albany. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, I don't know anybody in those areas. Um, but I remember being on such a high with God at that point, reading that book. That at the end of that book, Mark Batterson says, if you're like, basically, if you are daring enough, then use these words. And I remember just being in a place of desperation again with God and saying, God, use me, show me and send me. Now, Mm -hmm. if you're ever going to use those words, you better make sure what the (laughs) power of those words really mean, because they're powerful words, Um, (laughs) because I didn't realize what they really meant. And uh through the process, uh, I started to be like, okay, God, I'm going to put you to the test. And I put a three hour radius around, uh, Ithaca at the time. That's where we lived. And everything, every single job I applied to, and I applied to so many, every job came to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. And I'm like, God, well, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is like, so like I've driven through it and it's boring. <laughs> I'm just being real with you, God, but it's boring. <laughs> I'm like, there's really nothing there. And Wilkes Barre, God, like, okay, but like, what's there? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember hearing God say, trust me, I need you to go to this area. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, God, you know best. I'm going to put you to the test again. If this is where you want me to go, then give me a house, give me a uh, a place to or give me a job and give mm-hmm. me my children to go with me. Mm-hmm. And so one weekend I had two job offers. Oh man, there you go. And I'm just like, wow. I'm like, okay, God, that's right. You are the God of the impossibility. Like mm-hmm. you can do all things. Um, And at this point I'm still broken and I'm still going through a lot of pain, but I've started to see a glimpse of hope. Because I'm watching God do some big things that I couldn't see anyone else do in my life. Right. And I'm watching things line up to what God was telling me. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm actually hearing God. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will say that without God, you won't get through your struggles. You were open to receiving the information. Mm -hmm. Because God will protect you but you need you need god more than anything else because mm-hmm. god's your driver mm-hmm. and if you don't put god in that driving seat with you and you don't you know sit and enjoy mm-hmm. the journey with him your journey's going to be a hot mess mm-hmm. uh, and i just remember having a dream of this house um and feeding people and when they left they were well They were great. They were wonderful. But when they came in, they were broken. And I just, at that point was like, oh, that's kind of like me and my situation. And that must be uh, what I'm going through. Because I just remember God saying, I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you. Mm -hmm. And those are the things I would hold on to because those were the nuggets of good that I could hold on to amidst all the shatter. And uh, when I went down for the two job offers I'm like you know let's just look for housing let's see what options there are right and and God is super cool because I looked on Craigslist and the exact house that was in my dream was on Craigslist for oh. rent. 
<laughs> and I'm just like, wow, God, like, okay, you are so loud and clear. I can't, like, I can't defeat it. Like, there's nothing that I can do um, that can say that this is not you, God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I chose, I was like, okay, God, you have one thing left and you got a big one. You know, you got, you got my ex to be able to convince for my kids to come with me. And my kids were still broken at that point. We did a lot of art together. We did a lot of uh, dinner table talks together. My kids were broken. Mm-hmm. And I remember my one son just being like, I want it all to go back to normal. Right. Um, and so I asked them, I said, you know, if we moved, do you want to go with me? And my kids at that point were like, yes, I want to go with you. Um, Another and so blessing. Mm-hmm. I emailed my, you know, I emailed him at that time and was like, I'm moving this job opportunity is something I can't pass up and I need your permission. And we did it through attorneys and he agreed. And I'm like, okay, God, this is it. Mm. And I packed my bags and I packed everything in the house. And a week before I was ready to move, he took me to Supreme court and filed for the kids. Oh. And so we are on crash number three um, at that point. And so I ended up having to move at that point because I knew what God told me, um, which I knew at that point I couldn't leave God because God was the only rock I had at that point um, in my journey. And so I Mm -hmm. clung to God and was like, God, you're going to have to figure this out. But I was broken. So I moved without my kids. Um, In some respects, it's almost like your ex-husband was Satan because God does not lie. I mean, (laughs) Satan does not like it when when you're you're now communicating faithfully with god and and so he's using your ex in every way possible for you to go back to doubting and not believing in in god yeah i mean there was one moment i remember right before i left the how the apartment was all packed up with boxes and the uh moving truck was outside ready to be packed the next day and and the law guardian had to come to meet with my children for the first time and she wouldn't let me in the room. She had to do everything separate. And mm. I just felt like it was so, such a weird situation. And, and that next, that day or that week when we had to go to court, I spent the entire day on the stand and they just attacked me. Like, I remember I was attacked from the area, from the angle of the law guardian saying my house was condemned because there was no toys in it, but they were all packed in boxes. Right. Um, to uh my you know the, the my husband at the time his mom getting on the stand and saying that my children's behavior had nothing to do with my ability to parent but all my my husband's at the time and that I was never in the picture and and I'm like whoa where are all these lies coming from yep and meanwhile I had to pay for expert witnesses to come in and prove that these were lies and mm. and even with these lies uh to move out of state you had to meet that the school district was better the housing uh situation was better and that your job was better situation financially um and I thought everything was great cuz I took this job and I was making two times what I was making in a, in New York um the house was this amazing three-bedroom house with a backyard that was fenced in and a community that was beautiful um and a playground in the backyard and um 
and the area was a booming area um mm -hmm. with low crime rate and so i'm like oh slam dunk got mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. paralegal in me was like yes mm -hmm. i've met all the marks and i'm done um and I just remember being on the stand and I remember hearing the words, but your job is commission-based. And so we can't count it. Oh. <laughs> and I remember at the time being like, wait, what? Why wasn't this brought up? And I remember hearing, um, you know, so many attacks uh, and, and they were just like false attacks, like uh, false lies about, you know, she never picks them up from school, but then he wouldn't pick them up. And I would bring like, you know, someone from the daycare to like validate that I was the one that would answer the phone and he wouldn't, he was too mm -hmm. busy and he would tell them, nope, that's Tara's turn. Tara has to call. You have mm -hmm. to call Tara. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, God, this is like a lot of lies. I felt like David at the moment, you know, mm -hmm. like enemies were coming at me mm -hmm. and everything that was happening was like out of, out of my control and I wasn't doing anything for the attack um, right. I was innocent in that aspect um and I remember the judge pulling me in the office at the very end he goes I need to meet with you in the chambers mm. and I was like why does the judge want to meet with just me um and he looked at me and he goes I need you to hear this from me first before I make my decision. He's like, but I can't send kids with you because you didn't meet the financial part because of your commission job. He goes, but I'm going to sock it to him financially. And I'm going to make him pay you money in all these other areas. He goes with the hopes that, you know, he will recognize he's made the wrong decision because mm -hmm. I see that the kids need you and I want to give you the kids, but I can't because of legal, legally, this is mm. what I have to follow. And I remember hearing him, but I wasn't hearing him. It was right. like, again, I was numb. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, I've moved to Pennsylvania. I followed God. I've obeyed God's every command. And again, I was at a place with God being like, God, what did I do wrong? Um, and I remember being broken at that point again. And right. my oldest came to live with me um, because at that point he didn't want anything to do with my oldest. He completely rejected him um, unless he was willing to babysit. Mm. And my, my oldest was like, I'm not babysitting nine kids because mm. uh, they had two kids together. And oh my gosh, I just remember being like, this is a mess. And I'm like, God, why is it such a mess? I followed your every plan. Your plan's supposed to be perfect. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, I just remember being in that there was a room, uh, my bedroom at the time in this house had a huge closet and I made it into this like place where I would just meet God. And I would just put his promises on the wall and I would journal and I'd keep my journal in there. And I just had this cozy chair where I would just sit and just bask in his presence and be like, God, here I am. I'm raw. I'm broken yet again. Here we are. And I'm being honest, but this is not fair. And I remember being like, God, can I like pray those scary prayers that David prayed? And I'm like, <laughs> is that still a thing? <laughs> um, is that allowed? <laughs> and I just remember being so much in pain and it didn't help because I remember 
two months later, my, you know, my pastor growing up, his wife, uh, when I moved to Pennsylvania, everything God told me, she came to me with the almost the exact same statement in her, that she felt God was telling her. Mm. And so to me, that was confirmation. Mm -hmm. And when I didn't get kids and I was in Pennsylvania by myself, other than my oldest, uh, she came to me and she was like, well, maybe I didn't hear God. She goes, you know, your kids really need you. You need to come back home. Um, And that was hard to hear because this is a woman that I looked as she was close to God. She must know more than me. Um, My mom out of anger out of pain that she of what she was seeing happening would would just tell me you know how can you as a mom stay in Pennsylvania and listen to God and watch your kids go through pain all by themselves with their with their dad um you need to move back home just move back home and live with us you know it was that little dangling mm-hmm. of the carrot that the enemy would use mm-hmm. um and it was tough when I say the enemy comes in like a flood, you just, you better make sure that you know that God can raise the standard. Yeah. <laughs> and you better know that God will show up, but you better be ready to be planted and rooted in his truth because those waves are going to hit you hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that time I drew, I painted, I, I just dwelled myself in any way that I could hear God. Right. Um, because I was like, man, God, I must have missed something. I need to know where I, where I failed. Mm-hmm. Um, because I recognize now looking back, I was a perfectionist. I, I didn't want to fail anything. I wanted to achieve it all and achieve it well. Right. Um, and it was a process because it was about nine months before we got the court, uh, approval or got the court paperwork saying that I couldn't have kids. Um, that I can only see them once, once a month. And that was even shameful because when people would ask you where your kids, I'd have to say, I couldn't have them. Right. And then I feel like I'd have to justify it because it wasn't right. And I didn't want people to think I was this awful mom. Um, and my children would come to me on the weekend and grip me with death grips. My daughter would cry and not want to go back home and would scream don't send me back Uh, rip your heart out and I would hear of these situations that were taking place that were abusive and so I'd have to witness my children going through trauma that I had sheltered them from during our entire marriage right and I'm like broken even further because I'm like god where are you for them they need you more than I need you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember God saying, trust me. Remember the promise I said, well, you're going to walk through the Red Sea and not see it anymore. And about a year later, it was a couple months after we got the um, orders from the judge. My, my, or At this point, he's my ex. Uh, the ex finally calls me and says, I can't financially afford them please take them there you go and do you know that at that moment i was like oh this is what god was doing right god needed to close that door so Mm -hmm. it could never be opened back up again so i could share my story like this without 
it being opened back up without having to worry about, is he going to take me back to court mm-hmm. over something little? Is he going to do this yet again? Right. Because he would have repetitively done that because he now had money. He now yes. was in a relationship that had funds, had money, and he was doing well off. He had the boat and the big house and the, you know, all of the things in the natural world that you would consider as, as, you know, lucrative. Right. And meanwhile, I'm over here struggling. And I just remember being like, okay. And I was unemployed at that time. Uh, I had lost my job. The job had downsized. They cut, laid off a bunch of people. And I was at that point unemployed. And I remember asking, I remember being at one of those revival events and being like, God, why now? I was doing well financially. And now I'm back at square one of lose, you know, financially being unstable. And I can barely feed myself. And now you want me to bring children in? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember God at that moment because he used the speaker at that time to speak clearly to me and the speaker came to me and he goes God wants you to know that your children need you more than you need them mm. and that you just need to shut up and do what God's <laughs> telling you to do and I was like okay I was like shutting up message received <laughs> And I just remember being like, okay. And I, and it helped so much because in that process, he wanted, he wanted no ability. He was like, I'll see them to a weekend every month and two weeks in the summer and we'll alternate holidays. But other than that, I want no financial ties. I don't want to have to pay child support. I don't want to have to pay medically for their stuff. Mm. And basically just financially done. Right, right. Um, and I remember being like, okay, God, like, how is this going to work? Mm-hmm. Because like, I was depending on some child support. <laughs> I right. was depending on some other stuff. And I remember God being like, but I'm your provider. Mm-hmm. Not the world. I'm your provider. I will create waves of wealth for you. I mm-hmm. will open the doors of abundance for you. Um, And so I had to trust God again. And people thought I was crazy. I remember like employers would be like, oh, Tara, why don't you just like, because he would, he would call my employers and say, is she working there? Is she working there? How much is she making? Um, And my employers would be like, he called again. Um, Mm. Like, why don't you just go after this man for child support? And I'm like, no, I'm like, God was clear. God was crystal clear. I'm not going to overstep God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so through this process, it's it's been a journey. It's been about, I mean, there were moments where he would call CPS. They would have to check my fridge. I'd have to take pictures of my food. Um, oh my gosh. You know, you know, just the nagging stuff that they'd call the school and the school would have to, you know, call me and say, oh, well, you know, your ex called, what would you like to do? And I would, there were moments where I was so fearful and such in a place of like anxiety because I would be so worried that I do one thing wrong and you'd lose them. You'd have to go back to that. Right. And I didn't want them to have to experience that again. Um, but God taught me over the years that that's not a worry I need to worry about, Mm -hmm. um, that he had already closed that door and I've watched things change. 
I had a lot of bitterness when I moved to Pennsylvania. I had a lot of hatred towards, um, you know, towards the ex and, and even my ex-best friend. Like I had a lot of animosity towards what happened. And I, again, stuffed it, right? And right. God began to rav- unravel that and say, in order for me to use you, you have to let go and forgive. Um, and I remember it. It's a tall know, order. It is. It's a tall one. Because there were so many times I'd be like, but God, I don't trust women. I don't want anything to do with men. And, and the list that. goes on and on. <laughs> and the trip there to pick them up, I would have to go up what once a month. Um, still do. Uh, but the trip there was about two hours, 45 minutes uh, one way. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time God was like, are you done being angry? Are you done choosing to not forgive these people? And, you know, it was at a point where I was like, God, why am I always being attacked? Why am I always in this place feeling like attacks are coming that I don't even like, I don't even put forth. Like I would watch financial uh drought happen in my life and I'd be like but wait I like was in a good place financially I'd watch like crazy things happen and I'd be like where did that just come out from and how did it just soccer punch me out of the blue Um, and I remember asking God one time what is allowing this to happen and he was like you need to forgive because when you don't forgive you put yourself in the middle and every bout of correction that that person's going through, you're experiencing it at the same time mm-hmm. because you choose to be in the middle. Right. And I'm like, Ooh, ouch, that's <laughs> painful. I'm like, okay, so you're telling me I have to step out, but in order to do that, I have to feel all these emotions again mm-hmm. and I have to let them all go and I have to forgive And I remember God on that, on that drive up him saying, and you're going to forgive in front of your children and you're going to forgive them out loud. Wow. And I was like, that's powerful. I'm like, how am I supposed to do that? Because that's scary. Um, And I remember being like, ha, I know how I'm going to get you, God. If they're on the front porch, I will forgive. I will forgive them if they are all standing on the front porch because my children were never like my children were the only ones on the front porch. They never came out. The door was closed. As soon as I pulled up, they wanted no contact with me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, God, go ahead. And I should have known better, (laughs) but I pulled up in their driveway and sure enough, all 10 kids and the two of them are all on the front porch. God was like, watch this. I'm going to yep. make a grand. <laughs> yep. And, and I just remember stepping out of my car going, okay, God, I'm going to do this scared. I'm just going to do it scared. And I shook my voice shook. My hands shook. My body was shaking as I like cowardly walked up in a way that I was like a dog being like, okay, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> um and I remember being like I I just want to let you know that I forgive you for everything that you did I need to let that go I'm forgiving you 
Wow. And I remember their faces because they were just in like this deer with headlight look. Like, Mm -hmm. what? Because they couldn't believe that that's what I chose to do. Like, there was so much animosity and gunfly and you know Mm -hmm. it was such a mess between the two of us Mm -hmm. um that I think it came as such a shock but I will say when I stepped off their porch it was like a Mack truck just lifted off my shoulders wow because Mm. I didn't realize the weight that that was carrying that that sure sure and I watched things change in my life I watched God put people in my life that grew me even further and held me accountable. I watched God use a pastor as a mentor. I watched him put people around me to hold me accountable to saying no and setting clear boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched God completely begin to unravel that ball of yarn and start to heal one by one right and it was a lot I remember my I remember the pastor at that time he was my he was my mentor and he didn't have a church at the time I call him pastor because he's my pastor now um but I remember him looking at me and I was like God told me you're supposed to be my mentor Mm. and he goes and I remember our first session together and he was like I need to be very careful with you because you're fragile (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what does that mean? Uh, fragile? What does that mean? Uh-huh. Now looking back, I was like this piece that was all glued together with like, with wonderful like kid glue that was barely holding it together. And I needed somebody to come alongside me and show me another level of who God was and unlock doors that I didn't even realize were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was at a point where like, God was teaching me that I couldn't do this alone. Right. I couldn't, I was now at a point, like I recognized that year by myself was like time to really just bask before God in such a place of surrender. Right. Um, God taught me just to know who I was in that moment, to recognize who I am, um, to give me hope to hold on. And then when my kids came back, it was like, oh my gosh, things are actually moving in the direction. Because you had laid a good foundation. Yes. And the foundation is key because the rest of the house is going to fall if you don't do the foundation. Exactly. And I look back at even some of the artwork that I did and even some of the artwork I did with my children. Like I remember sitting at the table and my daughter at the time uh, she was she was slapped if she wouldn't speak across the face and so for her there it was so hard to get her to speak when mm. she first moved back with me mm. um so art was our therapy mm-hmm. art was where we would sit and we would just I would learn so much about her mm-hmm. and where she was at emotionally Mm-hmm. My other son had a nervous twitch and would say sorry like seven times in a row mm-hmm. because he was told he needed to say sorry for everything. And it turned into this obsession. And again, art was like our outlet. Um, and I recognized how to use art in a way that that was therapeutic, that allowed me to help them have a voice without 
speaking it out loud. Right. Um, and I began to start to show them that everything they went through was not for nothing. Right. That they still had purpose, that they were in a place where God was showing them their strength, was showing them how strong they are um, and how to become stronger in him. Um, right. And I, and our bond as a family grew stronger. Um, I was able to start to implement foundations with them as a unit. And we, as a broken family, we became one and we began to have that solid foundation. And I just remember like things completely changing and, and the things God would have for me, there's still, I'm looking in my office and I have this Hmm. painting of Jesus that I did like years ago after mm-hmm. right after my divorce it was during the year when the kids were gone and I have carried that painting with me everywhere mm-hmm. um and and in it's so funny because in my office now when I meet with clients they'll be like wow it's like I look into that picture and I just see God and I remember God saying bring this everywhere that you go and you're um, doing it and I'm doing it and it's so amazing what God can do and what he does through you, because right. you don't realize what your talents are um, until you really are just undone before God, right. until you've reached your max where you're exhausted and no longer trying to figure it out on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recognize, you know, it's God has a sense of humor too, because uh, today I work as a counselor assistant uh, with women in recovery. Wow. And we're talking 38 women. And I despised women after my divorce. <laughs> I was like, here I'm you done are. with women. And God's like, nope. Why here you go. Put you in the midst of them. Yeah. Um, but I listen to their stories and I'm like, I wouldn't have the empathy and compassion or be able to connect with them. If I had not been through what I've been through. Exactly. And it's now looking back, I can see what God meant about going through the Red Sea. That Red Sea is not about you. And it's not about my kids. Like I recognize like, cause in that moment I saw it as, okay, everything's going to be grand at one point, And there's going to be this, moment (laughs) where we're going to be on the other side and everything's going to come crashing down and I'm going to feel free. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't what God was saying. God was saying, Hey, every broken piece that you have at the moment, I'm going to piece back together and I'm going to use for my glory because there's somebody else that needs to hear what you've been through and need to know that I'm real today just as much as I was in biblical times right like Amen to the that. bible real and he's like I need you to be able to go through this situation so someone else can know how real I am mm-hmm. and I began to see that that's what God meant in that journey and in yep. that vision and it's beautiful because now I can look at it as wow I've gone through and God has taught me how to have spiritual muscles. God has taught me how to stand in the midst of challenges. God's taught me how to be completely raw and honest with him. 
even when I'm mad and angry, <laughs> God's taught me how to completely vouch for myself and learn confidence in who I am and to pray and speak to situations. Um, my son in the process of the divorce also lost four friends mm. in less than five years. Oh. And so at one moment, I remember being like, wow, like, you know, I would have never been able to help him if right. I had not gone through loss myself. Right. And I remember the last one that really hit him hard was during COVID. And I remember God calling me to go home and get my house in order. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking house in order means finances, your house clean, and <laughs> you know, all that wonderful stuff. And it wasn't, it was God wanted me to go home and be with my children and mm-hmm. connect with them because God knew that my son was going to lose his best friend to the mm-hmm. suicide. Mm-hmm. And that if I was working full-time as a single mom in a job, it wouldn't have been pretty. Right. But because of COVID, I was able to go home. I was able to be with my son during that process. I was able to walk him through. And I think sometimes we have to recognize that what God tells us, even though it doesn't make sense in the natural, we still have to trust him. Exactly. Yes. And that's not always easy to do. No, it's not. So, so Tara, what would you, what would you say where you are right now in your life? What are you passionate about personally and professionally? Personally and professionally, I would say, um, personally, I am passionate about teaching these values that I've learned uh, through this process to my children so that they don't have to go through the same struggles that I went through. So they can be able to learn because so much of my journey, I spent time in prayer, breaking off those strongholds for my children. Mm -hmm. But if we don't instill wisdom from what we've been through and teach them the reason behind the situation and be real with them, there's an opportunity for them to pick it right back up. Right. Um, and well, I feel like for me, that's a huge passion personally mm-hmm. um, and professionally. I know God has called me to work with women um, mm-hmm. who have been through a tremendous loss. Mm-hmm. And I know now that that's my purpose in life. My purpose is to come alongside another sister and say, this is how we can walk through this. Wow. This is how we can see the light at the end of the tunnel here. I'm going to show you this ladder, even though it's blurry mm-hmm. and I'm just right here. Just grab my hand. Let's go. Because we're not meant to go through life alone. Right. We're not meant to be able to feel alone. And so often we feel isolated and alone and that's not God's purpose and plan. Right. Um, and so for me, like, I want to be able to help as many women as I can who are in that same place, whether it's losing a friend or losing a job or losing, you know, a spouse again, because of divorce or, or losing um, your own identity or losing your own identity nowadays. That's huge. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and so I feel like, you know, that's where God's called me. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had me walk through this journey of, of deep loss and deep uh, 
deep grief for a reason. Right. Um, so, so with, know. with all of that said, what would you say is your superpower? Um, my superpower is an encourager. Um, I have learned to use that role of codependency in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, because codependency in all honesty, the core is encouragement, right? We want mm-hmm. that person to be happy. We want that person, um, to see joy and we want so badly to focus on all their problems and fix them. Right. Mm-hmm. But when we're healthy, and we're able to come from a place of, of, of uh, stability, we can instead use the encourager uh, card mm-hmm. and really just be that encouragement that someone else needs in that moment. Um, because sometimes all they need is a word. Right. Sometimes all they need is someone to listen to. Um, someone to validate them. And validate, yeah. Yeah. And so for me, I recognize that that along with prayer, like God's called me to be a prayer warrior in the intercessory realm and that together with um, the encourager, which I see more in that counseling, you know, realm, I'm, I'm in the process of finishing out my counseling. I'm going to, I'm actually looking at uh, finishing and possibly going on further for art therapy and uh, you know, I just recognize how God can take what you love doing. You know, uh, when I was in high school, I wanted to be an art teacher. Mm-hmm. And my art teacher was like, nope, you won't make any money. you got to figure out another profession. <laughs> and I remember being like, okay. Um, and it, But, you know, God brings it full circle. Yep. And I recognize how God just uses your gifts and talents mm-hmm. and gives you an opportunity and a platform to be able to explore those and see how they can bless somebody else. And, you know, for me, I've watched it happen in my family. I've watched, you know, it happen within me and and I don't want to just keep that for myself. That's a gift that somebody else is a superpower that I can Mm -hmm. pass on to some other um, mom, some other woman that's struggling with loss yeah. Because so often we lose our value in life mm-hmm. when loss hits and yeah. we feel like our value in life is gone. Our purpose is no longer there. Right. And I want them to know that like, it's just another chapter in their life. Yep. It's just a page turn and it's okay. And if you choose to remain in that place, that's okay. We can pause there for a minute, but let's see what that next page is going to look like, what that next chapter is going to look like, because, you know, God can do great things in new chapters. Yep. Um, And so I would say that's probably my biggest superpower is, you know, the cheerleader, the, I'm going to come along and grab your hand. (laughs) Yep. So, so, uh, Tara, how would you say that you are living your best life or as I like to say, living your best dash? Uh, today I, uh, you know, even just where I'm at today, sitting in this seat as a trained counselor, like being able to watch transformation happen Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's so funny. God is so cool. You know, most of my clients that are on my caseload are grief and loss. 
Mm. And I'm like, God, you are strategic in every way. <laughs> He's quite uh, the chess player, isn't he? <laughs> yes, he is. And I'm just like, wow, I'm really living this awesome life because what better way than to to be able to stand with people in their journey in the moment where transformation begins to bud mm -hmm. um, and transformation begins to take place. Mm -hmm. And to see the moment from when they come in and they're distraught and in despair to the moment when they leave, when they are in this place that they feel like, oh my gosh, I can conquer the world. Right. Um, that to me is living my best dash. Yes. Um, and, and watching my children do the same. I, I am so proud of my children. They have come so far through this journey mm -hmm. uh, with me um they are amazing kids they have a heart of gold and they have learned to walk out of this devastation with power wow uh, and that to me is living the best dash oh yes indeed most definitely <laughs> Well, we're coming to the end of our time and it, I'd like to know, are there any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, don't give up. Mm. You know, if you're in a place where you feel like life is swallowing you up, where you feel like there is no way out, where you're having those thoughts of why not just end my life, mm -hmm. don't stop there pick up the phone. Yes. There's people that are willing to help you. I'm willing to pick up a phone and talk to you. See if there's a way that we can work you out of that pit mm -hmm. because we're not meant to do life on our own. We're no. not meant to remain defeated. Like God has given us everything for life and godliness. But when we are in that pit, we need somebody else to yep. lead the way at times. And yep. so my biggest encouragement is pick up the phone. Don't mm. allow self-sufficiency and pride to keep you in a place of missing the blessings that you have yep. um, in store for you because there's so much opportunity and journal, you know, don't keep it all up here because if you keep it here, eventually your head will explode. <laughs> yes. In many <laughs> ways. At a place of desperation further. Yes. Um, but, but share on paper, um, you know, use those tools that we have in life so you can be able to work through that really difficult situation. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not fun no. and it's not easy. No. And there's no magic, wonderful pill that or solution I can give you. That's going to be like, yes, tomorrow I'm going to feel all better. Right. Uh, but keep putting one foot in front of the other. Look at small victories and celebrate the small victories instead of looking at the bigger picture. Um, mm. Because those small victories will link together and create a bigger victory in the long run. 
Those are very wise and beautiful words. And definitely, I second everything that you just said. Um, Thank you so much, Tara, for being my guest here today. I mean, you are a true blessing. And I'm so thrilled that you were here to share your story because uh, I I will say this is the longest podcast episode that I've had uh, to date. And Mm. but but part of what this is about is you sharing even after defeat, after defeat, after defeat, obstacle, challenge, all of it, you still kept taking those steps forward and you kept moving to improve your life. And now you are at a point where you are helping others. And that is the foundation of rediscovering your passion and purpose. So thank you very, very much for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you. This was a true blessing. And Um, I just hope that something in my story will help somebody, uh, Mm -hmm. wherever they are at, you know, draw them out of that pit today so they can regain focus, even if it's for five minutes. Um, I I, I know, I know in my heart that that is exactly what's going to happen. So with saying that, uh, when people finish listening to this podcast, how can they get in contact with you? So right now uh, I have a Facebook page. It's called Rise to Create. Um, it's uh, if you search with the at sign, it's at I Rise to Create. Um, but they can reach me there on Facebook. You can definitely, you know, like my Facebook page, message me there. Uh, my contact information is on Facebook. Uh, my phone number is there. Feel free to call me. Um, as well, if you reach out, I can give you a free uh, discovery call where we can see uh, how I can help you, um, as well as the email. And the email is irise to create at gmail.com. Um, so there's lots of ways to connect, um, but I'm happy uh, just to hear where, where that person is at and, and help them be able to pull the pieces together enough to see if, if we're a good fit to see if I can come alongside them and help them. Wonderful. Well, as you know, if you are a faithful follower, you know that in the description of this episode, uh, that is where you're going to find the links that Tara just gave to each one of you. So uh, if you know that the whether it is the Holy Spirit or whether it is just your gut telling you, I need to connect with her, you can go to that link in the description, whether you're watching us on YouTube or you're listening on one of the podcast uh, foundations, the platforms, go to the link in the description. And uh, I know that Tara will be more than happy to connect with you. Once again, thank you very much, Tara, for being here. Uh, What a blessing. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Well, for all of you listening out there, remember to subscribe and follow uh, this podcast and bring along your family and friends also, because as you have just learned during this episode, uh, we are sharing stories of people who uh, have gone through probably a lot more challenges than what we ever thought. But the thing is, they never quit. They never stop. And they keep pursuing uh, their passion and purpose to live their very best life and to help others to do the same. So uh, if you'd like to leave a comment or a review, I would greatly appreciate that. But also know I would like for you to check out my website at www.pathwayswithpatty.org. Sign up for a free Zoom chat with me and get my 
a free pathway to a new beginning roadmap. So until we meet again, continue to live your best dash and know that life's an adventure. And I want you to enjoy the journey because your life matters. Thank you for joining us today and may God bless you all.